Hi, y'all. My name is Liz Birch, and um, I'm really excited to be um, with you this evening. And thank you for um, rolling with the punches, with the changes of time and the wind and umbrellas and all the, the crazy stuff. So um, I'm really um, looking forward to what God has for us this evening. So um, tonight we are going to continue in our second week of study on Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Um, and we're going to be focusing specifically on Jesus' second proclamation when he says in Matthew 5, 4, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. This particular message of Jesus may be one that each of us is going to have to wrestle with a little bit tonight. But Jesus was very intentional in including this um, attribute as part of his most pivotal teaching. And so I want to take a moment to ask the Spirit to help us to open up our hearts and our minds for what that might be this evening. Um, and so if you wouldn't mind, let's just begin with prayer. God, we begin by declaring your goodness and your faithfulness. God, you are a good father who is with us every step of the way, especially when we step into very vulnerable and difficult spaces. Lord, you hold our hand and you walk with us because you are our Father, and that is who you are. So God, all of the things that we bring with us this evening, all of the busyness of our weekend, all of the things that have yet to come on Monday and the week ahead, Lord, may you um, focus our hearts and our minds for what you have for us in your scripture this evening. We love you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Open this up. Matthew 5 4. Blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. Let's begin this evening by giving you just a brief glimpse of where we're heading into our study tonight. First, we'll begin by starting to briefly unpack this word mourn. What exactly does it mean? Is, it, is there something more to it? Is there more depth behind it than just the word sad? And next then, we'll also review what Nick shared last week regarding this word blessed that Jesus used throughout his teaching and explore maybe some parallels between the crowd in which he first delivered this message to on the Mount and to us here in Bakersfield in 2021. We'll dive into scripture and look at examples of God interacting with people who were in deep mourning. How did our father respond to that person? And consequently, how do we sit with those who are mourning? And finally, we'll conclude with looking at what he has to say to us if we happen to find ourselves in that position of mourning right now. How do we look at our current position of lament and that we find ourselves in and actually see ourselves as blessed? Tonight might be a bit of a roller coaster, and it's definitely going to require you to be vulnerable with the one who already knows your every thought and heart's most inner cry. But if you can hang in there, 
no matter what you brought with yourself tonight, no matter what side of the pain that you may find yourself on, you have the opportunity to encounter the one who offers you a kingdom kind of comfort. So let's dive in. This is what Webster's Dictionary has to say about the, warm, the word mourn. Um, I'm, a, I'm a teacher Monday through Friday and also, let's be honest, on weekends. Um, and so my typical audience is the 12-year-old range. Um, and so we oftentimes spend um, the beginning of our day like picking apart words so that we all have the same language as we begin a study. And so we're going to start with looking at the word mourn. Um, Webster's Dictionary, it defines it as to feel or express grief or sorrow. Synonyms include words like um, anguish, agonize, hurt, or suffer. It would seem as though the word sad actually doesn't carry the same weightiness as this word mourn. So we can only imagine how those who's, who were sitting in a crowd on a mount when Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn, they might actually be taken a little bit aback by this bold statement. If you were here last week, um, or if you were not here last week, Nick did an excellent job introducing us to this word makairos. Um, he explained its translation from the Greek as um, meaning something like a great job, or keep going. It's actually kind of a tricky word to translate into our English language. Um, others have tried to translate it um, into meaning something maybe like uh, congratulations or fortunate are you or happy are you or um, blessed are you. It might have been used as a kind of salutation that maybe you would say to somebody if something um, really good had just happened to them. Somebody might say, Makaros, God smiles upon you. If you maybe had just like the birth of a child or some other kind of joyous event that had just occurred in your family. And it's important to remind ourselves of this particular translation of the word blessed because it's different than some of the other translations of the word blessed, which might mean something like receiving blessings or receiving divine favor from God. And we have to keep this in mind because um, in, at the time that Jesus was giving this teaching, he's speaking to a crowd of Jewish people who are earnestly crying out for God's divine favor to return to them so that they can stamp out this Roman oppressor that is over them. They were in deep mourning. Jesus was speaking to people who were currently grieved over Israel's occupation and oppression by Rome. They longed for Israel's return to glory and for the temple to be restored and for God's favor to once again rest upon the people of Israel, just as it did before they had been exiled in Babylon. And um, Jesus actually parallels and directly connects in this message to an earlier message in Isaiah, and it's in chapter 61. I would love if you actually could turn there with me. I'll give you a second to get there. Um, Isaiah 61 and we'll start in verse 1. Isaiah 61, verse 1. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. 
He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and to the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, and to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. They shall build up the ancient ruins and they shall rise up from former devastation. They shall repair the ruined cities and the devastation of many generations. Did you hear some common language? Why does Jesus parallel this prophetic passage in Isaiah? Glenn Stassen put it in his, this way in his book, Living the Sermon on the Mount. The Beatitudes are not about high ideals, but about God's gracious deliverance and our joyous participation. Here in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says that we are blessed because God is not distant and absent. We experience God's reign and presence in our midst and will experience it even more in our future. Therefore, each beatitude begins and ends with joy, happiness, and the blessedness of the good news of participation in God's gracious deliverance. People hearing this message would have made the connection to Isaiah 61. And in doing so, Jesus reminds the people of Israel, and consequently us as well, of God's promise to satisfy the longing of their hearts and his desire to help them to carry on faithfully. Scott McKnight's uh, commentary on Matthew 5.4 describes how up until now, um, the response to exile or oppression from the people of Israel has either been adaptation accommodation, activism, or apostasy. And yes, I had to look that up. I didn't know what that meant. So um, just so we're all on the same playing field here. Um, apostasy means abandonment or complete renunciation of beliefs. That's been their response. But Jesus, but Jesus, Jesus instead invites the mourner to respond in a very different way. Grief, faithfulness, suffering, and hope. And it's a beautiful justification. Adaptation says to ignore the reality of pain and loss. Grief says you actually need to enter into the pain and the loss. Accommodation says to look at worldly wisdom for the source of the comfort to your pain. Faithfulness remains anchored in God's promises and his faithfulness to be our source of comfort in our time of pain. Activism. 
activism says, inflict pain back against the injustice that has been inflicted upon you and do it in the same way, if not more. Suffering says endure injustice and persecution with a posture of patience and hope. Paul in his letter to the Romans says, do not repay evil for evil. Romans 12, 17. And lastly, apostasy. Apostasy says you might as well give up on God because there's something else better out there that can better meet your need in your time of pain. Hope says trust in the promises and faithfulness of a God that will forever be present with his people. God has forever been present in the deep sorrow of his people. I want to look at the life of Hagar in the book of Genesis. In this story, God, he had made a covenant with Abram and Sarai that they would have a son. But when they grew worn out from waiting for that promise to be fulfilled, they took matters and literally their Egyptian slave girl, Hagar, into their own hands. Abram bore a son with Hagar and she named him Ishmael. And of course, things got messy. In Genesis 16, we read that Sarai and Hagar did not get along. And Abram kind of takes this back seat to the conflict. And subsequently, Sarai begins to mistreat Hagar. So, pregnant Hagar flees. And an angel of the Lord meets Hagar near a spring in a desert. And he tells her that the Lord has heard her cry of misery. The angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. And then she gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. In verse 13. In the midst of her pain, she actually gives God a name. It's the first time in the Old Testament narrative that someone gives God a name. Elroy, the God who sees. God stepped down into Hagar's deep pain and said, I see you. I see your pain. And you're not forgotten. There is hope because I am faithful and I will be with you. So Hagar, return, Hagar returns and the story continues that God in his faithfulness still grants Abraham and Sarai their promised offspring, Isaac. And as time passes, Sarah gets jealous and demands that Hagar be cast out of their community. In Genesis 21.10, she said to Abram, get rid of that slave woman and her son, for that woman's son will never share in the inheritance with my son, Isaac. And even though this distressed Abraham, he listened, gave Hagar some food and water, mind you, not nearly enough to survive, and he sent her out to wander in the desert of Beersheba with her boy. 
And they basically get to the point where they're dying of starvation and thirst. Imagine wandering alone in a desert and watching in anguish as your son is dying before your very eyes. He's crying out for food and water and you have nothing to give him. Two years ago, um, Brandon and I had the opportunity to travel through Israel on a tour of the Holy Land and we visited Beersheba. It's a desert. And we talked about Hagar's story. And then I, as I looked around at the desolate desert um, and the well that actually is still there today, I couldn't help but nearly weep myself at the predicament she found herself in. I look at my own son and I can't imagine what it would be like if we were in the same position. And it was in this moment of deep pain and mourning that God meets Hagar again. Starting in verse 15, we read, when the water in the skin was gone, she put the boy under one of the bushes. Then she went off and sat down about a bow shot away for she thought, I cannot watch this boy die. And as she sat there, she began to sob. God heard the boy crying and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said, what's the matter, Hagar? Do not be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Lift the boy up and take him by the hand for I will make him into a great nation. The first time Hagar fled and the second time she was cast out but both times God meets her in her deep pain in the first encounter she makes this declaration about the nature of God he sees and because she chooses to place her trust in God in the midst of her pain he opens her eyes in the second encounter then God saw her and she saw, or then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. So she went and filled the skin of water and gave the boy a drink. And God was with the boy as he grew up. Did you catch that? When she declares that God sees her, she then begins to see. God opens her eyes and she can see his provision and his care for her. The story of Hagar gives us this beautiful narrative of how God responds to those who mourn. So as kingdom people, what should our response be to a world around us that is racked with grief? How do we step into the space of those who may be finding themselves in this current place of mourning? Jesus models this beautifully for us in the story of Lazarus. Um, this story is located in John 11, and if you have time, I really would recommend you read the, the story in its entirety. But just in summation, um, Lazarus is the son of Mary and Martha, and he has died. And by the time Jesus has arrived, Lazarus has been laid in the tomb for four days. Everyone is in deep mourning. 
And it is here when we, um, where we encounter what may be the shortest and yet still a very profound verse in the Bible. Verse 35. Jesus wept. Jesus wept. Remember, Jesus is the full embodiment of the Father. And we see him weep. The human experience of death was never a part of God's original design. We experience the sting of death because we live in a broken world. And maybe this is why he wept. Yes, he loved Lazarus and was deeply grieved over the impact of his loss. But maybe he was weeping for all of those who have wept because of loss. Jesus manifested the heart of the Father who mourns over all of the pain of this broken world. And he was moved to action. He goes to Lazarus' tomb and there he calls out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! And to our pain, and our loss that we may find ourselves buried under in this season, he grieves with you. Our God is a God that is moved to action and he calls out to us, come out, let me give you life again. I've wrestled with this quite a bit these past few years. And in particular, I would probably categorize as this last year being a season that has been filled with a lot of mourning for me. Like many of you here tonight, this last year has been marked with a lot of loss for me. Hopes and dreams that I had worked really hard for and planned and prepared for were suddenly turned upside down and I found myself heartbroken. Relationships were fractured and the safety that I had once experienced in community was shaken. And I found myself hurt. And for those of you who know me, I, uh, I love physical activity, believe it or not. Uh, I played soccer most of my life, even through college, and um, to this day, I, I actually really enjoy running. It's a, it's a place where I find my quiet. I often converse with the Lord, and it's a place that I usually start my day communing with Him. It's uh, been my outlet in a past, the past years that have been pretty turbulent for me. And then suddenly, and unfortunately, quite painfully, I lost that too. Last summer, I was on a run, and I was actually almost home. And uh, my back suddenly spasmed, and I collapsed onto the ground on the sidewalk, on the street. And I was not able to get up again. And after an ambulance ride and many tests, I began the slow and painful healing process of two herniated discs in my back. And I found myself in mourning. I cried out to the Lord my questions and confusions about all this stripping away. 
Do you know what that feels like too? And I wish I could tell you that this story has concluded and it's been all wrapped up and resolved with nice little beautiful warm and fuzzy things. But the reality is I'm still working this out. And the other day I was listening to this podcast and the woman named Olivia Munchersaw was teaching on this exact passage of blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. She shared a few things that really struck my soul and I would like to pass them along to you. She shared the story of her friend Katie who had experienced probably one of the worst things we could ever imagine. She, Katie had lost her child at the age of two. And she's actually written a book called Ruby Joy that talks a lot about grief. And in the book, Katie talks about a moment when she was in deep despair. She described this sorrow as a dark and deep pit. And she was crying out to God to get her out of the pit. God, get me out of this pit. And then suddenly she was aware that God was with her in the pit. But she still cried out, God, I want out of this pit. Please get me out of this pit. And he told her, Katie, you will eventually get out of this pit. But open your eyes and look around yourself. Do you want to leave this pit empty-handed? Or do you want to excavate this cave for all the hidden treasures that may be buried inside of it? You can leave empty-handed. Or you can leave with some treasures. And this is what struck me as blessed morning. I have a choice. You have a choice. We can respond to all the hurt and loss and disappointment and pain and oppression in our lives with a kind of mourning that just leaves us empty. Or we can press in to this kind of blessed mourning. It allows us the opportunity to mine for kingdom treasures and comfort that produces hope. I can't honestly tell you that I've struck it rich in mining my own personal cave of uh, mourning. Honestly, I don't understand it all yet. Maybe that's where faith comes in. But there have been a few treasures. I've gotten the opportunity to reevaluate where I find my identity and my source of joy. I've allowed others to enter into my pain and I have had to rely on the help of those around me more than I've ever had to before. I've learned a lot about empathy and myself. And for that, I can say with all sincerity that I am truly blessed. You see, our mourning isn't of itself an end. It's like childbirth. In Romans 8, verse 22, we hear this, this portion of scripture. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in pains of childbirth 
right up to this present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. Any women in here? Can you relate to this analogy? I have three children. I almost put up two fingers. I have three children. I usually only know where two of them are at any given time, but I have three children. Um, Barrett came two weeks early and the labor was very long and very slow. Blakely, um, I had to be induced with her after being two weeks late and that one was very intense and very quick. And then Bella came on her due date and I almost didn't make it to the hospital in time. <laughs> that one. Now, Brandon and I had made the decision. Yep. Um, Brandon and I had made the decision to have our child or our children through kind of like more natural methods. And um, he will probably remember this more vividly than I do. But there was a moment in Blakely's labor where uh, my normal breathing methods had shifted <laughs> because the Pitocin had kicked in. And, and it turned into this kind of deep groaning. And he was not familiar with hearing that kind of noise from me. And the intensity of the labor had kicked into high gear within seconds. And I was not prepared for that. And at one point in, and at one point in time, I turned to him in deep anguish. And I told him, I, I don't know if I can do this. And he looked at me calmly and reminded me that I could go on, that I was not alone, that she was almost here. And it would be over and worth it very soon. You see, those tears were producing something good. Those tears would end in life. And in this is the kind of weeping we enter into. It produces life. It might start by feeling like pain, but it ends with something good. It serves a purpose. What if, what if our weeping brought about new life and new salvation? What if, what if our weeping brought about healing and deliverance? There is hope in weeping because if we allow it, it can produce life, resurrection life. And as we mourn, we can receive comfort from the Holy Spirit because we don't mourn like the rest of the world with, who has no hope. Yes, we mourn, but we mourn differently because we know that one day there will be a day coming where he will wipe every tear from our eyes and there will be no more death or mourning, or crying and pain for the old order of things will have passed away. Revelations 21.4. This 
is the day that we look forward to. The invitation today is that if you find yourself in a place of mourning, God sees you. Elroy sees you. He sees our fractured relationships and broken dreams. He sees our loss of jobs and financial uncertainty. He sees our health struggles and the death of our loved ones. He sees the pain in our communities and those who are experiencing injustice. And if we choose to bravely step into the pain with the one who sees, he promises to open our eyes so that we can see the treasures buried in the deep. And he offers us the comforting presence of the Holy Spirit. He's here and he's waiting to receive you. And if you find yourself comfortable today, press into those who are mourning, just as Jesus did. If God chose to be close to the brokenhearted, may we be close to the brokenhearted too. May we have the courage to abide in God's presence and let him be the comforter that he is in our time of mourning. I'm gonna, in a minute, I'm going to pray. And then after we pray, we're going to transition into this time of singing and response and communion. It's a time where I would encourage you to press in. If you would like someone to pray with you as you do so, we'll have a few people just kind of like spread over out onto the side. And they'll be available for you. But I just want to remind you that he sees you. Pray with me. Lord, I thank you that we are never alone, that you have forever been present in the deep pain of your people. And so, Father, I pray for those of us who maybe are in this season of mourning and confusion and, and, and lack of understanding, Lord, may you meet us in our pain, just as you did with Hagar. We know that's your heart because we see, it, we see Jesus do that with Lazarus. And, and so, Father, we cling to those truths because we know that your character stays the same, that you love us. And so, Father, as we pursue you as we keep our eyes and we and we look to you may you open them to see the treasures buried in the deep we may not understand it now but we don't have to leave empty-handed and so father in my own life may you continue to open my eyes for the treasures buried in the deep and father as kingdom people may we sit with those who are mourning May we love those who are mourning. May we encourage and spur on those who are mourning. And may we just hold hands with those who are mourning. God, we love you. We love you. We love you. And it is in your name we pray.